today. Uh, what an awesome opportunity it is for us to join together and worship the Lord. Today is uh, extra special as far as uh, just being together as part of part of the body of Christ. We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, and I'm thankful for those also joining with us online. Uh, just a, a quick reminder, uh, here at Charleston Baptist Church, we love the Lord's Supper. Uh, you do not have to be a member of Charleston Baptist Church to join with us in that celebration, but you do need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is the Lord's Supper for that purpose, and so what an opportunity it is for us uh, to do that. And Lord, and we're going to use a specific passage uh, in the New Testament to kind of gear us towards that. It's going to be found in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 8. Set a little bit of the context here. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Paul is commanding uh, young Timothy. Timothy's the pastor there uh, in the church at Ephesus. He's commanding him to, to guard at all costs uh, the, the purity of the gospel and, and to celebrate with tremendous joy what the gospel has accomplished in the past, what the gospel continues to accomplish in the present, and what the gospel will accomplish uh, in the future. And so what happens in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is Paul begins to instruct how the church is to come in corporate worship together, to come together to worship the Lord. Uh, and what Paul does is he connects the worship of God with God's mission to the world. And this is why I think this is important for us today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, to understand that there is an amazing connection between the worship of God and God's mission to the world. And we have the privilege and the honor to be a part of both of those things. And so we're going to use 1 Timothy chapter 2 as our guide this morning. I'm going to read the passage uh, in its fullness, and then I'm going to pray, and then our worship team is going to lead us in a time of song, and then we're going to come back and do some of those elements that we were talking about leading to the Lord's Supper. So the scripture says, uh, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let us pray together. Lord, as we come to this sacred time to gather as the body of Christ, uh, Lord, I pray that you would use uh, this time as an opportunity for us by your grace, to be convicted and corrected by the word of the Lord and by the spirit that lives in us. Lord, that this would be a time to uh, recalibrate our minds, uh, recalibrate our hearts, uh, recalibrate our priorities in life. Uh, Lord, as we uh, witness the, the events that are unfolding in our world, Lord, as we experience personally uh, the circumstances and the events that unfold in our very lives, in our own homes, on our own streets, in our own workplaces, where we go to school. And Lord, we have the opportunity to worship. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, cause us by your spirit to be sensitive to the needs around us. Lord, that you would allow us to be sensitive to the desire for change and transformation that you, you want for us. Uh, not just individually as a follower of Christ, but us collectively 
as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Lord, we turn our attention to you. Uh, we ask uh, that you would allow any and all distractions to be removed from us in this time. Lord, that we would be focused on the word of the Lord, that we would be focused on praying to you and praising you. Lord, that we would be focused on the amazing truths found in the gospel and how that gospel and only that gospel has the ability to take a man or a woman or a child that was once dead in their sin and bring them alive to Christ. As we move closer to celebrating the Lord's Supper together, we want to take a special moment of just a time of prayer. And uh, I, my prayer is that as we hear from the word of the Lord, uh, as the Spirit uh, brings uh, sensitivity in areas of our life, we will respond in praying for those areas. And so in just a moment, we'll have an opportunity uh, to have a time, a personal time of prayer. Again, you can have that time of prayer right where you're sitting. If you choose, you can come forward and just come and spend time at the altar. Whatever the Lord uh, leads you and calls you to do, we ask that you be faithful to that. And we see uh, this place of prayer in the first uh, two verses there in First Timothy. Again, the scripture says, first of all then... I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high uh, positions. And so the first thing that we see in this passage is really the priority of prayer. Uh, the scripture says, first of all, then I urge. And so Paul is begging uh, the church uh, to pray uh, to the Lord. Uh, so before our feet hit the ground, right, before our minds begin to think about all the things that God has called us to do and equipped us for, uh, there, there is the posture of prayer because prayer expresses more than anything else our, our dependency on the Lord. And yet, it's one of those areas that gets neglected the most. Uh, maybe it's done right before we eat, right, real quick, right? Uh, but this idea and this truth that uh, our lives are dependent on the grace and the mercy and the discernment that the Lord gives us uh, is expressed mostly in our uh, prayer life. Uh, and then understand the, the description of prayer that Paul gives uh, Paul uses the word uh, supplications, and really this talks about the, the urgency of prayer. Uh, it, there's a prayer that is expressed in, in a time of need. And so at, you and I, as we assess and evaluate the things that are happening in our lives and the things that are happening in this world, uh, there should be in us this, this emotion or this, this thought of, man, there's an urgency here. Because we know that only God can meet uh, those needs. And so as we look at the brokenness in our lives, the brokenness in our world, is there a sense of urgency there? Lord, we need you to move. And so there's this idea of uh, supplication. Then there's this, uh, uh, the general term for prayers. Uh, it expresses a crying out to God because the circumstances are, are just so desperate. And the only one that we know we can tr tr truly turn to, to meet those needs, is the Lord himself you know, if we look at the desperation in our world today, uh, if you pull out all the layers of hostility and rebellion and anger, there, there's a cry for help, right? They just don't know where to turn to. And we, as the people of God, know that the only one that they can turn to in their desperation is the Lord. And so our response to that is what? Before we do anything else is to pray. Then there's the, the word intercessions. Uh, the word intercessions means that we are uh, to really stand in the gap, to plead uh, for the cause of another. And so this intercessory prayer is, is a prayer that's birthed out of a burden. Again, we see the brokenness that's in, 
in our world. Uh, and, and we have to acknowledge that, that many people are walking through life, financial issues, uh, health issues, relationship issues, uh, brokenness, separation, uh, death, and, and we see it plastered all over uh, the news this week of, of war. And they're doing it apart from the Lord. They're doing it without uh, the peace that comes in the midst of chaos and, and the hope that comes in the midst of helplessness. And you and I, we, we have that honor, that blessing that comes from the Lord that in the midst of no matter what the circumstances are, that God gifts us with his peace. God gifts us in the midst of all those things, joy. And yet the world doesn't have it. And we forget that the world needs peace and joy that only comes from the Lord. And so we pray. And then Paul uses the word thanksgiving. You know, what are we thankful for? Uh, two things I think come to mind is one, we're thankful that God can do the impossible, right? And so we, when we go to the Lord in prayer, we're, we're expecting that God is going to move in miraculous ways, that we're not limiting God to our own thoughts, our own power, the box that we try to keep him in, but we go to the God who is able to do far more than we could ever hope or believe or to think, right? But then we're thankful for this. We're thankful for the people that God has put in our life, even the hard ones, right? Because God has given us an opportunity with that time to show them the power of the gospel with the hope that the gospel not only will transform them, but through the power of the gospel, the Lord will use them and equip them for greater things, right? For the kingdom of God. And so we come with thankful hearts. But notice the scope of the prayer. The scripture says that we are to pray for all people and understand the immediate context. Uh, the false teaching that was going into the church in Ephesus was the, the gospel was only for the elite. The gospel was only for this part of society, this part of religious activity, this, this part of race and this part of culture. And so the, the, the gospel was very limited in these false teachers' mind. And, and the gospel of Jesus tells us, no, it's for all people. And so when we pray, we pray for all kinds of people, all types of people. We are not showing favoritism in where our prayers are going and to whom our prayers are going to and for what our prayers are going for. And he goes on to say, for kings and all who are in high positions. Now that's a, that's a fascinating statement that Paul says. Because the emperor during the time was Nero. Nero hated God. He hated God's people. He persecuted them mightily. And the scripture says what? To pray for those as well. You know, I think it's unfortunate that if we're not careful, uh, that we can, we can minimize gospel impact in our hearts and our lives based on who's in office, right? You know, we have this idea that every four years, uh, we'll have, a, we'll have a, the greatest impact depending on who's the leader, right? I'm not saying that there aren't influences there, but we have a responsibility as the people of God, regardless of who's in office, from the highest to the lowest, that we, are, we pray, we seek the good of those around us. And, and listen to why this is important. Jesus talks about uh, praying for our enemies. He says in Matthew 5, so this is Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard that it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's, that doesn't come naturally, right? 
that only comes from dependency on the Lord in the gospel. Now, why is that important? Well, Paul gives us the reason in the second part of verse 2. He says, so that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You know, what happens if we're not careful? Again, talking about the dependency on prayer is what wells up in the heart of a believer is anger and bitterness, depending on whose rule we're under, right? And, and, the, and the gospel is teaching us something different. The gospel teaches us that with gospel urgency and gospel dependency on the Lord, that we can, in the midst of tough leadership, being under the authority of someone who is oppressive, that we can what? We can lead lives that are dignified and honoring and peaceful. This is a characteristic of Christian living. When Paul is writing to the uh, church in Rome, uh, he says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. We need a renewed mind in that because if we're not careful, we, we only reflect what the culture does, right? And so we need that renewal of the mind. So as far as it depends on us, so far as it depends on us, we are to lead uh, and live peaceful lives with all. You know, we can't control how people respond to us, right? Sometimes we wish we did. But we can take responsibility in how we respond to those around us. Paul continues that thought in Romans 12, verses 20 and 21. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. We are trusting that God will do what is necessary in our lives and the lives of that person. You know, if we're not dependent on the Lord in prayer, when we think about praying for our enemies and living lives that honor him, even in the midst of great hostility, we will have zero desire or power to live like that, right? I mean, who naturally wakes up and says, I'm going to feed my enemy today? We don't do it, but the gospel calls us and equips us to do so. Why is that important? Listen to the heart of the Lord in verses 3 and 4, he says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who what? Who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is God's desire for every person. It doesn't mean that everybody will come to faith in Christ, right? But God desires that people will repent and come to him. And you and I, if we think about it, we were once enemies of God, right? That's what the scripture teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2. Every single one of us. Doesn't matter if you grew up in church your entire life or came to faith long after your adult years. We were once enemies of God. But it's by the grace of God that we are saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. We used to be his enemy. Now we are beloved children of God. How's your prayer life today? As we go into a time of just personal time before the Lord, as you think about all the things that are happening in, in the world globally and in your world locally, how's your prayer life? As we prepare continually to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as the family of faith, I want to encourage us to spend time in prayer. Just think about the scripture that we just uh, walked through. Where has the Lord made you sensitive? What is that specific prayer that God has put on your heart? Again, feel free to pray where you're at, local, where you're at sitting, or please come forward in your altar, at the altar here. I'm going to pray for us, and then after I finish praying, I want that to be an opportunity for you just to spend time uh, personally with the Lord. Lord, as we come during this time of just prayer, uh, Lord, 
Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to reflect on and be reminded of the power of the gospel. That, Lord, that in Christ, you have given me the capacity to pray for even my enemies. And Lord, I fall so short on that. But, Lord, I am thankful that during this time, not only have you reminded me and reminded us of the importance of prayer and, and the connection between worship and uh, the amazing mission that you've given us to in this world, uh, Lord, that, that I can pray for my enemies. And Lord, thank you for bringing that to my attention. And Lord, I pray that in faith, Lord, I will respond to that. Lord, that I would uh, take this time uh, to pray for that individual or that circumstance that, that has impacted me physically uh, and locally here, or maybe that, that person or that group or that circumstance that is impacting people uh, globally, or as we think about the events that are happening in the Middle East uh, today and just the hatred that is being spewed and the things that are happening. Uh, Lord, we, we can't understand all those things. Lord, we know there are biblical contexts to those things, and sometimes we, we don't understand how all that's going to work out, but we do trust in you. We thank you for your goodness. And so, Lord, we want to lift those things of prayer to you at this time. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to spend time with you and you alone. And so, Lord, as we lift up our prayers, Lord, we pray that it would be in line with your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now we're going to turn our attention to a time of just praise. And in our passage uh, this morning, Paul gives an amazing uh, reason on why we are to praise the Lord. No matter what is happening in our life, our hearts should be filled with praise to the Lord. And listen to what he says in verses 5 and 6. He says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You know, God gives us the greatest gift in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who can cure our sin problem. He's the only one that can rescue us out of the depths of our own sin. The barrier between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man has been bridged by the compassionate and gracious and merciful love of Jesus Christ. And that is God's heart, right? Uh, when God instructs or goes to the prophet Isaiah, again, uh, people of God during this time are in a place of a great captivity. Uh, again, keep in mind, because of their own rebellion, right, their own disobedience, uh, these words are given in Isaiah 45, second part of verse 21 into verse 22. And there is no God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. And listen to the plea of the Lord. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So in the midst of that, God's plea is what? That they would turn to him and be saved. And so God's gospel call to the ends of the earth is to turn to me. Look to my one and only son. To know that Jesus, what praise should come into the hearts of people? To know that we have a mediator in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our only savior. And it's that truth that when uh, Thomas is doubting, right? Remember, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross in John 14, and we have doubting Thomas, and sometimes he uh, gets a, a bad rap, if you will, but even in our doubts, right? The scripture reminds us of the security that we have in Christ. Remember, he's, 
He doesn't know where the Lord is getting ready to go. He doesn't know the way. And what is Jesus' response to him in John 14, 6? Jesus said to him, I am. And I love how Jesus double downs on these truths, right? He says, I am the way, not a way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Praise be to Jesus that he has revealed that to us. And again, by grace through faith, we are saved. We know the way. We know the truth. And we know the life. Praise God. Praise God that we have a mediator who stands between the gap of eternal hell and eternal heaven. That we know the one who stands the gap between eternal separation and eternal reconciliation, right? And he is our advocate. He is our mediator. He has given his life for us. Jesus himself says in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sin, not just in the past, not just today, but forever for the future sins that we may commit. And Jesus, our advocate, is reminding us in John 1 John 2, 1, we hear these words, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So we have the power and the capacity in Christ not to sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is the one that we are to praise and to give thanks. Why? Because he has given us all things. He has completed all things. And we, we praise him with lifted hands. We, uh, we praise him with open arms. We praise him with a desire to share that gospel message uh, to the world. And that's the connection that we see in verse seven. What does Paul say? He says, for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So there's a lot going on here. Now we don't have the same calling as Paul in many ways, but we do in other ways, right? We're not apostles, he was, right? But I love the fact that his praise wells up so much that he's willing to confront the false teaching that was happening in the church. And he says, I have been called, me who used to be a Jew, now a follower of Christ, to preach the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, nobody is off limits, right? This is my calling that God has given to me. And you and I, we have been blessed with that same calling. It may look different, right? But we have been called and gifted by the grace of God to go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we pray and we praise and we are sent out by God to declare that message. Why? Because he is worthy of all praise and honor from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. Let us not forget the great commission. Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, said to his disciples, and he's saying to us today, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And praise be to God, the Scripture says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. You know, God is going to call us to go into difficult situations, right? How many of you have been in a situation where you had no words to say? And yet God in that meets you where you are and he gives you the word to say. The scripture, God has always given us the scripture to share in the hardest of situations. And we praise God for that, that though God has given us this amazing commission to be on mission with him, 
He has equipped us and he has given us everything that is necessary. But we praise God, why? Because he is our mediator. He is our advocate. He is our savior. And so during this time, have you forgotten to praise the Lord for that? You know, it, it's, it's, it saddens me, but I also know that uh, it's true of myself that we, we can forget of the glory and the beauty of our salvation, right? And, and this is an opportunity as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment to be reminded of the grace and the mercy that God has bestowed on us. Not because we are worthy, not because we deserve it, not because we can earn it, but because he is worthy and he has accomplished it for us. So let us praise the Lord. So I'm gonna uh, spend a, a moment just uh, ushering in that time of praise. And then when I finish, I would uh, encourage you to take an opportunity uh, to just praise the Lord as an individual. Uh, again, you can do that where you're sitting. You can come forward uh, to the altar, but let us just praise the Lord. Lord, as we come to you during this time, just praising you, thanking you for the finished work of Christ. Uh, Lord, to know that you will never leave us or forsake us. What a, what a precious gift and a precious reminder. Uh, Lord, let the security of our walk with you, our relationship with you, let the security and assurance of, of our salvation and eternal hope that we have in Christ not be dictated by how we feel or how we think or even how we act. But Lord, let it be confirmed in us through your spirit because of what you have accomplished and what you have done. And so Lord, we praise you. Lord, let the hearts of your people praise you in such a way that we can't help but share the message and the good news of the gospel to every tribe, to every nation, to every tongue. God, you are worthy of all honor and praise. Amen. Amen. We've spent time in prayer and spent time praising the Lord. Now we want to take an opportunity to spend time in confession. In confession. Now beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, there is a uh, transition that Paul begins to go on, but that transition is connected to those first uh, seven verses. Again, uh, Paul is connecting uh, the worship of God with the mission of God and how important that connection is. And he begins to talk about some of the hindrances that get in the way of true worship of the Lord, uh, specifically in a public context, uh, and then also our commitment to his mission. And he says this in verse eight. He says, I desire then that in every place uh, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. And so we'll take that verse and we're gonna look at two hindrances that Paul begins to talk about that negatively impacts our worship of God and our commitment to the mission. Of God, And the first uh, hindrance is that of a lack of holiness. That's what he's talking about with uh, lifting uh, up holy hands. Uh, he's talking about the integrity of one's life, right? In other words, uh, as a follower of Christ, we, we can't live however we want to live and expect to uh, worship the Lord, right? Uh, there, sometimes we have that disconnect that, that as long as I bring my A game on Sunday morning, uh, then all is well. But I just lived for the devil last night or on the way here, right? And so there's a connection between uh, the heart of integrity of a follower of Christ and, and genuine, pure uh, worship of uh, the Lord. And I love what David writes in Psalm 26, uh, verses 6 through 7. He says, well, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. Now, David is not saying I'm sinless and I have a perfect life. I mean, we, we have a clear testimony that that's not the case, right? 
Uh, but what he's saying is, and there's kind of a, uh, a picture of going into the temple and they would have these uh, pools of water that would be available for people to wash their hands before they went into the temple uh, to worship the Lord. And so it was a symbolic picture of a washing of hands and, and really having your heart and your mind cleansed in order to properly worship the Lord. Now you think about the context and what we live in today, right? I mean, hand washing is probably uh, at, at the top of people's list. I mean, you go anywhere and everywhere. Still today, there's sanitizer bottles everywhere, right? And you've experienced probably those times where you put hand sanitizer on at a place of business and you're realizing, I don't know what happened to this hand sanitizer, but it smells horrible. You ever had that experience before? It's awful, right? So you stay away from those places, right? But the point here is not so much how clean are your hands, but how clean is your heart? Right? And so one of the things that negatively impacts our worship of the Lord is a lack of holiness. Uh, a second thing that impacts us uh, in our worship and our commitment to uh, God's mission in the world is a lack of unity. A lack of unity within specifically the community of faith. Uh, he, Paul uses a, a phrase there that we are to lift up holy hands uh, without anger uh, or quarreling. And again, the, the, the false teaching, when, when we begin to buy into false teaching... Uh, it's automatically going to commit disunity within the body of Christ. And that's what's happening here uh, in uh, the early church here. The scripture is reminding us that that there is a direct connection between our relationship and fellowship with the Lord and our relationship and fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Just as much as our relationship and fellowship between brothers and sisters in Christ and our relationship and fellowship with the Lord. And so we can't be in disunity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ and think that we have unity with the Lord, right? And so there's a, and the opposite is true. Uh, We can't think that uh, because we have unity, we think we have unity with the Lord, but we're in disunity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So there is a connection there. And and it begs the question, is there disunity between you and another brother or sister in Christ today? Again, we can't, have this, be deceived into thinking that we can walk in disunity, knowing disunity with our brother and sister in Christ and think that we can come and worship the Lord with purity and, and genuine heart and be committed to the mission of God. Because again, the gospel is about reconciliation, right? Uh, and how does Jesus instruct us when that is the case? In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, again, the great Sermon on the Mount, he says, so if you are, uh, you are offering your gift at the altar and there is a, there there's a reminder or remember that you, uh, your brother has something against you, you're to leave that gift uh, and before you go to the altar and go and be first reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, don't, don't come and, and try to worship the Lord when there's disunity amongst the brothers, right? Go. If God brings to your mind that you have caused disunity, then your first step in humility is to do what? Is to go and do everything you can to make restoration possible, right? And so that's where we're gonna find ourselves today. Before we worship the Lord, right? Before we worship the Lord through celebrating the Lord's Supper, let us leave our gift, make it right with our brother and sister in Christ, and then present that gift before the Lord. I'm gonna pray for us, and then you're gonna have a time of confession. And again, you can do that where you're sitting, or do that up front at the altar. This is between you and the Lord, right? 
But again, we want to position ourselves in the best possible way to celebrate truly what the Lord's Supper is all about. So after I pray during this time of confession, I encourage you to take that personal time as well. Uh, Lord, we thank you for, again, the opportunity to praise you and to pray to you. And Lord, as we take this time now uh, to truly confess what you have brought to our mind, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, through the message of the gospel that we are, that we trust in, Lord, that we will be reminded of the beautiful process of restoration and how restoration and reconciliation is so important within the body of Christ. Lord, in honest confession, those areas that we build walls, we build walls because we've been hurt. We build walls because we want to bring about vengeance. Lord, we build walls because we want to control the outcome. Lord, we build walls because in all honesty, we are not trusting in your goodness and your glory. And so, Lord, as Jesus has instructed us to leave our gift and to go and seek restoration from our brother and sister in Christ, and when that restoration has begun, Lord, then we present our gift. We are trusting in that process. And so, Lord, as you uh, continue to move us in a place of truly celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, Lord, we trust that you would bring to our heart and our mind uh, those places of needed confession, and Lord, that you would give us a desire and the power uh, to bring about uh, the first step and the process of restoration. Lord, you are good to us, and we thank you for that goodness. Let us confess our sin to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Now at this time, we will prepare for the elements of the Lord's Supper. And so if you are in the sanctuary, make sure you have the prepared uh, elements in the, the cup here. If you have not received yours yet. We have places up front at the tables up front, also in the back. So please take a moment uh, to grab those. Uh, and I know some of us are trying to help uh, those around us with the elements. So we're going to go ahead and get started a little bit on that. So to open up the, the bread part, don't eat it yet. We're not quite there. Uh, press down on all the tabs that should release the clear tab. Go ahead and uh, open that up just a little bit. Uh, remember the flow of what we've done this morning. We have gone to the Lord in prayer and asking him to expose those areas in our life. May we're not praying uh, for those situations and those individuals uh, according to uh, the gospel and a reminder of the connection between proper worship of the Lord and our commitment to God's mission in the world. And we've praised the Lord. We've been reminded that we have an amazing uh, advocate and mediator and savior in Christ Jesus, right? Praise God for that that he, has, he will never leave us or forsake us. And it's through that praise that there is a fuel, there's a catalyst to share the message of the gospel to every tribe, every nation, every tongue, right? And then we've had a time of confession because we know by the time we get through those first two parts, there's some things in our heart and our mind that aren't right with the Lord. And so we've taken that time uh, to confess those things before the Lord. And that leads us to uh, our passage where uh, Paul, again, is writing to the church in Corinth now, and there's disunity, there's uh, a lack of worship towards the Lord and how that impacts all those things. And then he brings them back uh, to that place where Jesus spent that last supper with his disciples. And that's what we still do today, that we do these things in remembrance of the Lord. And the scripture says, and I'll read the whole passage, and then we'll take the elements together. And the scripture says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, a way that dishonors the Lord, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And we see a picture there of the mission to the world and the worship of God, and that's why we spent our time in 1 Timothy chapter 2. But we're going to take the elements, and so, again, if you have the bread ready, Uh, The bread represents uh, Jesus' death for his people, Uh, the fact that he entered into our brokenness, uh, our shame, and our sin, and he bore all that uh, for you and I to be united with him. And again, Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So at the time, let's take the bread together. Amen. If you would, open up the last tab there. Be careful. That brings the juice available. The cup represents the shed blood of Christ, the fact that we are under a new covenant, a new covenant of grace, uh, to know that every day that we live, uh, it is finished, right? It is finished. There is nothing that we need to add to the work of Jesus. There's nothing that we can take away from the work of Jesus. We uh, live securely in the finished work of Christ. Uh, And the scripture says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So at this time, let us take the cup. Lord, thank you so much for, again, for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to join together and to celebrate the Lord's Supper and how uh, you've allowed the scripture to speak to us on the importance of prayer, uh, the importance of worship, and the connection between uh, proper worship of you and our commitment to uh, your mission to the world. Thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that you've allowed us to be a part of that. And so, Lord, every day allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to bring about places in our life where it's not in line with your will. And, Lord, uh, let us confess those things, repent of those things, and have a renewed trust in the gospel. Thank you for the opportunity to allow us an opportunity to rediscover the beauty and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.